0: As I was preparing this message, I just ask God just to help me speak clearly, and uh, I pray that every time I speak, but this message was just heavy on my heart, and so I want to get right into it this morning. Can we do that? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. I know you just sat down. It's like musical chairs. Everybody sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, but I want to read this morning from the Word of God. We're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. Let's read together. It says, we are human." But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not the worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Another translation says we destroy every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that's gonna come between people and knowing God, we destroy those arguments. Verse five, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey God. Christ. This morning, I want to share the subject that's on my heart. I want to talk about how we are facing a war on truth. There is a war on truth, and we as a church have to be ready to fight. But before we get into the meat, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we thank you for waking us up. Even though we had one less hour of sleep, everyone in this room are the real Christians who love God the most. (laughs) But God, seriously, we just pray that you would inhabit this place today. God, we want to leave better than the way we came. We don't want to walk out the same. We want to walk out changed by your word because your word is powerful. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut down, God, to the heart of the issue. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us today, Holy Spirit. Let them be your words and not my own. Let us uh, be encouraged today. Let us be challenged today. And let us grow today, God, as we get closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated Like I said today, I want to talk from the subject, the war on truth. And um, if you'll allow me for the next few minutes, I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface of this war, these things that we're facing. But I would encourage you to take notes. And I hope, like I said, that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you and that you can kind of cut through the distractions of what's going on in our world and get to the heart of the issue. Because there is an attack on truth like never before in human history. Like never before. Now, this is a, this is a fight that's gone on since... beginning of time, there's always been this search for truth and what what truth is. And since the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, objective truth, cold, hard truth, everything you and I believe, and more specifically, everything that the church holds as truth is being deconstructed all around us. And let me say this, this isn't new. All right, the early church had the same exact struggle that we have today. But the thing is, we have such an access to information, and that's a great thing. You can read, you can study, you can learn. But if you're not secure in your faith, you can read one article that questions your faith written by someone who doubts Christianity and your perspective could be changed. So we need to understand what is truth and what is not. And there are basically two schools of thought, and I'm not going to get too deep into it. I'm going to simplify it, oversimplify it, really. But I believe it's important to kind of start this conversation. And one of those trains of thoughts comes from Greek philosophy. And I'm not going to go into it. This isn't a history class. But basically, this, this says that everything is a product of fate and of chaos. That's one school of thought. The second school of thought comes out of Israel. And that is that everything is purposed by God, that everything was created by God. This is where we have the Genesis account. So when you boil it down, these two things are the foundation, the, the, the primary movers of everything we believe. You believe in one or you believe in the other. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to spend too much time on Greek philosophy because we can get down into the weeds. And I encourage you just to go do some studying yourself. I learned a lot this week as I was preparing for the sermon. But I want you to understand that when the gospel of Jesus started spreading, it was competing with the culture. It was competing with the current way of thinking. It started in Israel, and it started to spread into a Greek-dominated world. And everything in that culture, everything that Christianity was preaching, everything that Jesus said contradicted the culture of that day. Creation, how we came to be, our purpose as humanity, the way we interact with one another, everything contradicted the culture. And so when the gospel started to spread, the belief system of the culture around the early church started to infiltrate the purity and the truth of the gospel. And this is what we're seeing today. There is an infiltration in Christianity called postmodernism. And I wanted to train you to be careful as you're listening and as you're watching for things. There's some things that you should take note of when people say things like Christianity is out of date, the Bible needs to be updated. You see, there's this idea that historical theology put forth by the traditions of the church is all false. Essentially, they're trying to change the meaning of Scripture. It's trying to sanitize, if you will, Christianity for the modern world. And all you have to do is open your eyes to see it. Some things to look for would be blurred lines between what's true and what's not. And objective truth is being pulled apart thread by thread. And unfortunately, Christianity is not excluded from this. You see, there's this claim that the real behavior and the purpose behind the teaching of Jesus Christ became very rapidly misunderstood and misinterpreted by his followers. They're saying, it's, it's like, like, they, like all the disciples just sat around a fire one night. Let's see, how, we, how can we deceive the rest of the world for all humanity, for the rest of mankind? That's what people are thinking. And, and they think that truth has only been recovered or exhumed by modern scholars. In other words, what the world is saying is that the experts that are alive today know more about Jesus than those who were with them. So why am I telling you this, church? Because you'd better be ready to defend your faith. We cannot be Christians who are illiterate when it comes to the gospel. We've got to be able to hear what is true and what is not and measure it within the framework of scripture. And I'm trying to teach you today. This is not a condemning message. This is not. Uh, uh, You should message this is a message for the church right now in 2022 to wake up and pay attention to what's going on in our world and I am not saying this isn't this isn't a free pass to go out and start blasting every pastor on social media and claiming them to be a false teacher be careful be careful the Bible says that God hates those who sow division among the church that's that's powerful stuff. And so what we're reading here in 2 Corinthians is obviously a sequel to 1 Corinthians, and it's written by Paul. Just to give you a a quick backstory on Paul, formerly known as Saul, he was a, a Pharisee. He was very astute. He was very smart when it came to the religious law of the day. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. He knew the Torah. He was very good at his job. But Christianity, the gospel, was a threat to his way of life. And so he spent his time trying to capture and persecute Christians, even killing them. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus changed his heart, changed his name to Paul. And he went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, one of the most influential people in the Bible, started the early church. All that to say is one encounter with Jesus can change everything. That's not my message today, but it's important. And Paul is, is defending his authority as a believer. People actually called Paul a false teacher. And I want you to notice that he didn't, he didn't come defending the gospel with an iron fist. He came as a father. He came and he reasoned like a good dad trying to instruct the church. And that's what I want to point out today is that when Paul is writing this, he is writing to the church. He's talking to those who have accepted Jesus as their savior. He's not talking to unchurched people. Because the world doesn't recognize God as the ultimate authority. So these letters are written to the church. And there's two purposes of this book, 2 Corinthians. Number one is to defend his apostolic ministry against false teachers. Number two is to give instruction for Christians. And so all that set up, I want to get into this text today. And I I believe that this is going to be practical. I believe that this is going to help you. So I would encourage you to take notes and write stuff down and then continue some research because it's really powerful stuff. Second Corinthians 10, three through four, the first verse we read says we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons. That's the word of God. Not worldly weapons to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Here's my point. Our fight is not with our culture. Our fight is not with our society. Our fight is with the devil. I need you to get this before I move on to anything else, that our fight is not against each other. Despite what the media is trying to tell you, despite what politicians are trying to tell you, our fight is with our enemy, the devil. And in fact, it says in Romans, or excuse me, Ephesians 6, 12, it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, So let it be known before we get into this text that our enemy is Satan, not one another. It's not black versus white. It's not rich versus poor. It's not the church versus the state. It's not Democrat versus Republican. The gospel is so high above these things. And once you understand that, once you understand that it is about the truth, it is about the gospel, and it's about our enemy, the devil, that's who we're fighting. You're able to cut through the, the, the distractions and get to the root of the issue, and that is that we live in a fallen world. So hear me this morning. Your battle is not against your abuser. Your battle is not against that unfaithful spouse. Our fight is against Satan, who is in his very nature, to create division. So if the word of God is our weapon against untruth, then it just makes sense, doesn't it, that that's what the devil would deconstruct, that's what he would attack, is the gospel. So how does he do that? Well, from the very beginning of time, God created Adam and Eve, right? And he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from that one or what? You're gonna die. And what did Satan do? He got Eve isolated. He said, Surely you won't die. Surely you wouldn't die. You see what he does? He mixes a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie, and that's where the danger is. He does it through deception. The thing about deception, the thing about being deceived, is when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. He does it through deception. He immediately took what God said and twisted it to deceive Adam and Eve, and that's what's happening Church, That's what's happening with the gospel today. And here's my point. Any gospel that leaves out Jesus is not gospel. It's a lie. You see, we don't get to believe different things about Jesus and who he is. When you become a Christian, you sign on to dying to your preferences. You shape your life around the word of God. You don't bend scripture to try and fit your life and your choices. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus said. The gospel, the only way to God is through Jesus. Morality won't do it. Political and institutional legislation won't do it. You have not been saved by policy. You have not been saved By the government. That's a huge problem in our society. Is that people think you can legislate the heart, and you can't. Encountering Jesus, receiving Him into your life, is the only way you can change your heart. We are saved by grace. You cannot have Christianity without Christ. And uh, theology that does not preach Jesus as its central message is wrong. And even in Paul's day, people kept letting society mix. With the gospel, he had to to correct some people. People would think they were saved by works. They were saved by what they did. They were saved by traditions. And Paul had to correct this. And in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 5, he says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. That's one of our first promises here. That's one of our first missions here at Skybreak Church is that people would know God. And so it's our job as believers to destroy every proud obstacle that keeps itself uh, excuse me that keeps people from knowing God and we capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. The next thing, gospel is not political. The gospel you, you may get accused of being political when you're just sharing the gospel. But I want to say this church as a warning to myself and to us collectively is that we have to stop using the gospel of Jesus Christ as a political baseball bat. There is a big difference between using the Bible to share objective truth to transform a life. There's a difference between that and using the gospel to win an argument. Are you listening? You see, people for centuries have used the scripture out of context to justify some horrible actions. So be careful not to make the mistake of using scripture as a way to try and hurt people and to prove your point. And you have to ask yourself when you're sharing the gospel: what's my motivation? Why am I sharing this? Am I sharing this to produce heart change, or am I sharing this to say that I'm right? Second Timothy 3:16 says, all scripture, say all scripture, is inspired by God and is you not to repeat that, that's okay, and is useful. To teach us, thanks for listening, teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I want you to know something very, very important about this scripture. This is for the church. Paul is not talking to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's talking to the church. That's what scripture is useful for correcting and teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. He's talking to the people of God. Second Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit because it sounds foolish to them. And they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Y'all, the other day, this was in the past couple of months, I saw a politician Misquote Jesus to prove a point, and it was a disgusting and gross misuse of the word of God. And regardless of where you stand on this, that, or the other, do not use the gospel, the sacred gospel of Jesus Christ as a club to beat people into submission. And this was alive and well in the day that Jesus was walking the earth. John eight 31. I'm talking about truth. Are you still with me this morning? I know it's quiet, When I was reading this, I was was having to check my own heart. John 8, 31, 36, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied. He said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son, but, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. What I love about the scripture is that Jesus responds to them in a totally different way than they expected. You see, the Jews expected Jesus to come as a political liberator. They were under Roman oppression. But Jesus is about spiritual liberation. You're freeing your soul. Romans 8, chapter 2 says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans eight twenty one. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is spiritual liberation. Jesus didn't come to free them from Roman rule. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman government. He, he didn't come to set up his kingdom on an earthly throne. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven and save us from our sin. He came to pay the price, which was death, for the ways that was that redeemed us from our sin. The gospel was the story of how, how we are dead in our sin, but Jesus provided a way out. In the middle of the culture, in the middle of the persecution, in the middle of our circumstances, you can find liberation for your soul. That's what Jesus is talking about in this scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. That word knowing, this isn't just like I I know Tom Brady because I've seen him on TV. That's not what that, this is a term of intimacy. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from intimately knowing who God is. Our fight today is to defend the gospel, to remove anything that would keep people from knowing God. Don't miss this, church. How many people have we kept out of the church? How many people that, by our own actions, created an obstacle for people to know God? We created obstacles. Dress this way, talk this way, look this way, think this way. It is not our job to change the hearts of people. It's our job to point people to Jesus and allow him to change their heart. Don't be the obstacle in the way of people who are confused, people who are hurting, people who have doubts and have questions about their faith. You don't know their story. Don't disqualify people, church. Please hear my heart. Don't disqualify people before they step foot onto our campus. Fact check. That's a word we hear a lot, right? Promises of paradise apart from the gospel are not possible. I'm talking about discerning truth here. Are you listening? When people are motivated to make the world a paradise at all costs, be on guard. Millions of people have been killed under the guise of making the world a better place. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were two thieves beside him. And one of them looked at Jesus and said, remember me. Remember me. And Jesus said in Luke 23, verse 43, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. By the way, this is a defense of uh, against a, a works based gospel. This thief did not do anything to earn his salvation, by the way. He was hanging on the cross beside Jesus, and he said, remember me. He repented, and Jesus forgave him, and he was with him in heaven for eternity. So we talk, about, we talk about world change, and we talk about making the world a better place, and I get it. But it will never be a paradise this side of heaven. And it's such a delusion to say that we'll make the world a better place. I get what we mean, but we can't because for thousands of years we've tried. But you want, you want to know when the world became a better place? When Jesus stepped foot onto the earth, when Jesus arrived, when grace arrived, when he provided a way out of our sin, that's when the world became a better place. And on this side of heaven, we'll never see it. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. As a matter of fact, Jesus lists the physical acts of mercy in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And I'm not going to read the scripture, but I'll tell you what he said. He said, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, ransom the captive, bury the dead. But all of this is Christ in us. That's what the church does, not the state. Christianity never promised to make the world a paradise, not until Jesus comes back because of sin. But we are called to transform circumstances only when we have been transformed by Jesus. Pastor said this before, you can feed the entire world you can clothe the entire world. You can create world peace. But if you don't give them Jesus, you lose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. says, But God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point us in all future, point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. And here's the truth. And this is one way to determine what's true and what's not. The world divides, the gospel unites. I'll say it again. The world divides, the gospel unites. This is what's crazy. Is the world will divide us in the name of unity. Fill in the blanks. The world will say we exist primarily in relationship to one another, not God. But the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love God first. This is what I believe. Then I can love you. You understand the difference? Until we get this right, God help us with this. The world also believes that identity is found in Your group, not in God. Be very careful. Hear me. Be very careful grouping people and limiting them to who they are based on that alone. This is a warning to the church. When you start putting people in groups and you use broad words and broad phrases. You twist up the gospel. You dehumanize people and you limit your effectiveness to witness to someone. You limit your effectiveness to witness someone when you put labels on people. People also believe that our identity is found in our experiences. Now I'm not discounting your experience. Some of you have walked through some pretty horrible stuff and I'm sorry. Sorry. That's something that you're gonna have to deal with in your heart between you and God and, and forgiving people and releasing people of that power over you. But if I believed that my experience was my identity or my truth, then I would live my life under the veil of shame. But can I can I encourage you? This is this encourages me. I preach to myself when I say this, but I'm also letting you know I am not a sum of my flaws. I am not a sum of my mistakes and my shortcomings. I am redeemed by Jesus. And I'm not going to put people in groups and say that that alone is your identity. It's demonic and it's divisive. All humans are made in the image of God. And when I limit your identity to your economic status, when I limit your identity to your skin color or to your points of views or to your nationality, I completely miss the uniqueness, how God created you, and I shortchange you. I'm talking about truth, church. Be mindful of it when you turn on the news. Be mindful of it when you pick up social media. Our basic problem is not against one another. Our basic problem is rebellion against God, and we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And our purpose is to love God and to live for him. So be a diligent Christian. Study the word of God. Do research. Be able to prove the things you believe in. Now there's faith. And be careful what you're reading, but stick with the gospel. It's the fix for all of it. We have issues, but the gospel is the fix. Don't let culture pit us against one another. And, and, and please, please, church, don't buy into the lie that we're all enemies. Because the gospel says that we have been reconciled to Christ, and we have been reconciled to one another. The early church had Jews and Gentiles, men, women, rich, poor. Why? What united them? Jesus. Jesus united them. So how do we proceed? How do we bring unity? Number one, acknowledge and fight for truth. Acknowledge and fight for truth. We got to love people where they're at, even when we disagree with them. Because like I said before, it's not my job. I am not God. I am not the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to change a heart. It's my job to point you to Jesus. Number two, avoid labels. Calling people things that will divide is not the gospel. And like I said, I know I'm I'm barely scratching the surface of this truth thing. But I want to encourage you, go, go read up. Go do some research. Number three, above all else, put the gospel first. John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm talking about spiritual freedom. The gospel addresses the issue of the heart. And I hope this message has been practical and I, my, my prayer going into this was that you would be able to just discern what you're listening to what you're reading, what you're hearing, the things you're watching, because oftentimes lying is disguised as truth. And that's what the devil did in the beginning of time. And here's what the gospel boils down to. Number one, God created everything. He created the heavens. He created the earth. Then he created men and women, but we rebelled against him in our sin. And we brought sin to the earth. And the Bible says that that sin separated us from God. That sin separated us from God because he's holy. He's perfect. He can't be near sin. So he loved us so much. He wanted a relationship with you so bad that he provided a way out. He provided a way of reconciliation. And it's his one and only son, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that if you would just believe in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your trust in him, when you accept him into your heart, your relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth, God, your relationship with him is restored and redeemed. And he sees you not for your flaws, not for your mistakes. He sees you as forgiven. Romans 10, 9 says, if you would confess with your mouth and you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be Be saved. Anything outside of that is untrue. Oftentimes we feel like we have to get it all together as if we can work hard enough and then maybe one day Jesus will accept me. But Paul said, if we could earn our salvation, then Jesus died for nothing. I'm gonna ask everyone to stand to your feet this morning as we wrap this up. First of all, I wanna pray that we as a church would speak the truth, that we as a church would... Hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our number one value. Jesus is our message. So Father God, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice, whether here in the room or online. God, help us to discern what is true. God, I pray that we as a church would be a unifier, that we would use the gospel as our framework, Jesus, that we would see people through your lens, God, God, we've never met a person that you're not crazy about. We've never met a person that you're not madly in love with. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see people the way you see them. God, I pray that Skybreak Church would be a beacon of hope, not only to our community, but to the world, that people could see what's going on in Skybreak Church and they could see the unity and they could see everything that's happening in our church. And God, it would point to who you are. We don't do this for our benefit. We don't do this for our glory, God. We do it because it's the reflection of who you are. And so, God, help us to discern what is true. Help us to discern what is right and what is wrong and help us to hold fast uh, fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray for the people right now who don't have a relationship with you. If you're here in the room with every eye closed and every head bowed, like I just said, that we were separated from uh, from God because of our sin, but he sent Jesus to pay the price on the cross. The Bible says that the punishment that you and I deserved was on him, and he took that sin, he took that shame, he took that guilt, so that you don't have to live with it, and when you come to him, he removes that from you, and now you are connected with your creator once again. So if you're here in the room this morning, and you're watching, and you wanna make that decision, I wanna give you that opportunity today, and I don't know what you've been told in the past about salvation, and, and maybe you felt like you weren't good enough, first of all, none of us are, But Jesus loved you so much that he paid the price so that you could be in right standing with God the Father. And the Bible says that your your sin is separated from you when you come to Jesus. Your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. You're not identified by it. You're identified through the lens, through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. But here's the foundation of our faith. Jesus died on a cross, but that's not the end. He got up. Three days later, the Bible says he rose to life, and it's because of that that we're able to even have salvation. That we're able to have eternal life with God the Father, and so if you're in the room today and you want to make that decision to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to count down from three, and I'm not going to make you come forward or anything like that. But I want to know who I'm praying for because I believe that something happens when you raise your hand, when you kind of take that outward expression of faith. It, it kind of solidifies what's going on on the inside. And so if you want to make that decision this morning to invite Jesus into your heart with no one looking around, I'm going to count down from three, and I just simply want you to slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying for. If you want to make that. Decision today. Three, two, one. If that's you in this room and you want to make that decision, I see your hand, God bless you, God bless you, I see it, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus. I see your hands, awesome, God bless you. I see it, I see it, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, thank you God, thank you God. Awesome, I see your hand, I see it, thank you Jesus. It's the best decision that you can make All right, you can put your hands down. I want everyone in the room to pray this prayer with me, whether you've prayed it before or not. Just pray it to support the people making that decision. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Take away my past. Help me to follow you. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. I trust you, Lord. Guide me, lead me for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we make some crazy celebration for those who made that decision just now and invited Jesus Christ into their heart?